Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Delta Dental Podcast. The focus of this podcast is to share undergraduate and dental school experiences from dental students and dental professionals through valuable discussions. Through sharing the journeys and the stories of current dental students and dental professionals, our goal is to help you find answers or guidance for your own pre-dental journeys. We are very excited to have Stony Brook Dental student Brandon Axelrod as our guest today. Brandon graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's degree in biology and society, along with completed minors in nutritional science and business. He's now an incoming D2 student at Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine. During his undergraduate years, we can definitely say Brandon was a little bit busy, founding and serving as president of a nonprofit organization, board member of an orientation committee, which organized orientation events for incoming Cornell University students, as well as conducting and publishing research. Now in dental school, Brandon serves as the vice president of the community engagement in the American Student Dental Association, also known as ASDA. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. How does it feel to get that first year of dental school under your belt and how are you? Wow. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me, guys. It seems like an excellent podcast you guys have going on, uh, but it feels great. Um, we kind of went from the full first year in, in the med school, uh, and we kind of, you know, at the, at the tail end, we were working on some hand skills. We finished operative dentistry one, uh, along with dental morphology, but uh, it feels really great to have that first year uh, under my belt, I guess you could say, and uh, looking forward to D2 when we start maybe seeing some pediatric patients, doing some prophylactic uh, care. So there's a lot to look forward to. Wow, I cannot wait to dive into all those things. Um, but first, why don't you tell us about, about yourself, like where you're from, uh, you know, what we like to do for fun. Yeah, for sure. So um, like you guys mentioned, my name is Brandon. Uh, I'm from Long Island, New York. I'm from a family of four. Um, and so I went to Cornell University uh, for undergrad. Uh, and Stony Brook uh, School of Dental Medicine was always the school that I was looking at. Uh, you know, not only is it close to home, but it has an excellent, excellent reputation. Um, and it kind of was in line with everything that I was looking for in a dental school. Um, so let me, I guess you guys kind of mentioned some things I did in undergrad and, and Stony Brook. And, you know, hopefully there's a lot of other things I'll involve myself with at school. Um, D one year, there's a lot of, you know, you worrying about the academics primarily. Um, but I guess, uh, let me think, what can I, what can I talk about here? Uh, I guess one thing that is pretty big on my application, something that's part of my, my personality and, and all my friends know me for it, um, is that ever since I was five years old, um, I had been uh, doing magic. Uh, and through the years, what's happened is I stopped doing magic, but I actually picked up balloon twisting. Uh, and this is like, when I say balloon twisting, it's like extreme balloon twisting. Like it's, it's I can make anything the kids ask for from Sonic the Hedgehog to Ride of a Unicorn. Uh, it's actually, it's really fun for me. And I could literally, I, I welcome the challenge. So whenever a kid comes over and asks, uh, you know, to make them something, I'm ready to go. And this is a full, uh, full-fledged business that I'm able to run while being in dental school. Uh, I work every weekend, multiple parties a weekend, birthday parties, block parties, bar mitzvahs, communions, literally anything. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of kind of was my application and something that I'm able to do in dental school. And it's really fun for me. Um, but besides that, I really um, I like going to the gym. I like running. These are some things that I've been able to do, uh, of course, while being in dental school. And they're great stress relievers. Uh, I'm happy to talk about some of that stuff as well. Um, Hopefully that was a, a nice little intro. Uh, and I, I guess that the, the ultimate goal for me is to incorporate these sorts of skills that I have in, ter in terms of balloon twisting into my practice. Uh, not necessarily, not sure if I want to do pediatrics, but uh, regardless of whatever I pick, uh, I'm sure like, you know, any age group uh, will, will find that entertaining and definitely alleviate some of the stress of going to the dentist. Honestly, that's like one of the most unique things I've ever heard from like any dental student or even like a doctor. Really? Um, yeah, and like if you want to go into pediatrics, I think balloon twisting would be, you know, you'd 
be pretty successful. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. If you twist a kid a balloon after an appointment or something like that, oh my goodness, that'd be so. No, sad. yeah. In the cards, I would say, um, honestly, between uh, pediatrics and oral surgery. So right. I know they're kind of polar opposite ends of the scale. Um, but like I said, I'll see kids, obviously, re regardless of whatever uh, specialty, even if I do general, of course, I'll see kids. Um, so any way possible that I can incorporate that, that would be the ultimate goal. Right. Uh, so everyone needs that fuel to their journey, right? So we wanted to ask you like that question, you know, the question that comes into your interviews, you know, like everything. Uh, so why dentistry? Like what motivated you to be where you are today? Yeah, of course. I, I actually didn't really allude to this earlier, but in my whole like upbringing and life is, is really uh, interrelated. So uh, like I mentioned, when I was five, um, I slipped and fell in the I, I started doing magic. Uh, and the reason I started doing magic is because I slipped and fell in the shower. I promise you this is related. I slipped and fell in the shower. I went face first uh, and like into a, a tile, whatever the, the shower situation was at the house. Um, and I, my, my two front teeth got, got, impact, like got pushed up into my gums. Uh, and I'm bleeding and I'm crying and it's the whole, the whole thing. And my parents, of course, the first instinct is, you know, rush me to the dentist and five-year-olds are not like rushed to the dentist, like emergency. He wasn't even a pediatric dentist. He was my dad's dentist for years. Right. Um, I'm not sure if he had seen kids really that frequently, but I get there and sit me down in the chair and I literally was laughing so hard from just how great of a guy he was. Like, it was like the like he was cracking jokes and like the, the fact that he was able to manage me in that situation is really astonishing and, and admirable. Um, but he, when he was finished, I honestly thought he was joking. I thought it was part of the, part of the shtick he was put like, I, I thought he was joking because it seemed very, very quick in my eyes. Uh, and I felt a lot better. Uh, he put a gauze pad in my mouth and then snapped his fingers and pulled out a red sponge ball. So like, I learned that he knew magic and whenever he had a chance and it was infrequent, but whenever he had a chance, he would do magic for his pediatric patients. Um, and so that was like the moment where I was like, I want to do this. Like, this is, this is what I want. This is what I'm born to do. <laughs> um, so I, every time I went to the dentist, I was obviously like the most excited patient. He like took a real strong liking uh, towards me and he would show me like little magic tricks as I would go and I would do them for the, the hygienist and the secretary, secretarial staff. And I had just a great relationship there. I really enjoyed going to the dentist. And like I mentioned, um, you know, as time went on, I actually stepped away from the magic and balloon twisting became a thing that I was into. I took like the most basic lessons for like a dog, a sword and like a snake. But I was like, that's so lame. I was young enough to know the kids wanted like, you know, the characters from movies and things like that. Um, but to get back to like, you know, why dentistry, it's kind of incorporates everything that I've, that I've come to love. Um, I really love, I, first of all, I've always loved science in school. Um, I really like the idea of being artistic. And that's something that, of course, uh, I, told, I tried to relate through my, my, in my personal statement interviews that uh, my whole kind of, it's called balloon artistry for a reason where I'm, you know, I'm, I fully have to create on the spot, whatever is being requested. Um, and it's just really working with people. Um, and I really am looking to make that difference. Um, I want to create my own style where I'm like staying informed about the lives of my patients and, and leaving lasting impressions like my dentist did. Um, and it's kind of interesting. It's like both my side, my side hustle and dentistry kind of both involve these technical movements with your hands and like working with your hands. Uh, but they're both kind of designed to gain trust in a sense. And that's something that I played with uh, in my personal statement. Uh, and so that's kind of my answer. Um, yeah.
Right. So forget what I said about unique before. I think this is even more unique. That that sounds like an amazing story. Um, I'm I'm actually amazed at how this all just kind of fits together like a puzzle. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get more it doesn't get more genuine than that, right? Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, as you went through undergrad, how did you not lose focus of your why? Like, was it something that had that has been uh, like? motivate you since that that since it occurred and you just kind of ran with it or yeah just how did you how did you maintain that that fire throughout this whole process yeah that, that's a great question um so i guess starting in high school this is when i kind of like turned it up a notch in the sense that i i knew that for, for undergrad for undergrad i needed to be like have a strong science background and i i, I did science research um, so if there's any high school students listening, um, I think uh, science research is a great way to get yourself involved uh, with, with the literature that's out there, scientific literature, um, and not just, you know, you know, doing well in chemistry and biology are great, but like, I think you, some, some colleges want to see that you're, you're really expanding upon these things. Um, so I was lucky to get connected with a national, uh, with a, a research fellow from the National Institute of Dental and Craniofacial Research in high school. And so that was a really cool project to learn of kind of what academia is like within dentistry at an early age. Um, so the early years, basically summarizing research and just having a love for science. Um, and then when I'm in college, um, of course, there, you know, there were times where being that I wasn't in a dental office or seeing dental professionals very often, um, you know, there are times where you think like, hmm, maybe there would be something that I would possibly be interested in more. So maybe, maybe I was thinking more so the medicine route. I, uh, as you mentioned, I was a business minor. I actually did a summer where I did a full on business uh, internship in New York City, um, just to see what it was like. Uh, and I was lucky to get that opportunity. Um, and I quickly learned that, yeah, there's no way I want to do anything like, like, like hardcore investment banking. This is the worst thing ever. Uh, but uh, personally for me, I, I really like working. I really want to work with people. I really want to make that impact and, and make that difference. So I was right back on the train for the dental. Um, and uh, let's see, like I said, like science research, these are important things to stay involved with. And then I guess something that helped me too was um, all the clubs and the volunteering that I did. And again, it puts it into perspective. Like there are people out there who, who really can value your help and, and dentistry. Like I'm learning more and more every day through school. It's like, you know, not everything's always peachy for people. Like I've been lucky to have a great dental experience besides when I was you know, younger and I haven't really had any cavities or any real dental ailments. But I'm seeing in the clinic, I'm seeing in PowerPoint slides, like there are some people out there who, who really, really need dental treatment like immensely. And like they can't function without going to the like people neglect their teeth and neglect their oral health, um, and and it's, you're going to be there for them and you're going to be their their kind of their savior in that sense and and really make that difference. So um, kind of just keeping those things in mind, uh, and it, it always helped, of course, that I I knew from such a young age that I wanted to do it and I really committed to it. But those are some some points. You know, I could definitely we can definitely relate to um, you know being in school only and not in the office, like assisting or something like that, you get like lost in your books and like lost in education. And like, you don't, when you're not around to practice that much, you kind of start thinking a lot. Um, so like, definitely like I, I assist, um, even during school, I do part-time. So doing that, like maybe once a week, kind of like reignites that spark that I want to do this the entire time. Right. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I actually would love to see that as well, that you're assisting. Right, That's right. great. That's a great thing. And I'm also like a business administration major, also with a bio major. So like, 
um, yeah, business is cool. But I remember doing like, um, I worked in like a real estate office in junior year of high school and I hated it. It was like a desk job, like five days a week. And I was like, I cannot do this. So every time I like think about dentistry, like, am I still on this path? I just think about like that, that summer that I just sat at a desk and then yeah. where it's assisting, which is like, you're standing up, you're interacting with patients, you're, you're helping people. So that's kind of how I, you know, similar to you, that's how I keep my, you know, spike spark. Yeah. And it's, it's great that you can combine the aspects of business and dentistry into right. one. Uh, all the all the great aspects of business are involved with dentistry. Um, whereas like the desk job, like sitting in one spot, making Excel sheets, you're not really, you're not really doing that. Uh, yeah. Maybe there'll be, a, if you're lucky or you're involved in a practice as a business manager, like, yeah, there, there might be some of that. Uh, but like, you're honestly like, you're like a performer when you're doing dentistry, like you're out there, like you're, you're, you're kind of the, not only you, that you're the expert, but like, you're kind of the, the, the mastermind behind any sort of business or practice. And I think it's just for me personally, and it seems like maybe, maybe the two of you like uh, combining the business because uh, you're, you're doing this podcast. It's a great initiative. Kind of shows that like, you know, that, that savviness in a sense. Um, I think, you know, the two of you are, are probably set up really, really well for a career in dentistry. I appreciate that. Um, so I wanted to go back into like your research. Uh, so how did that happen? How did you, I, I know you could like mention how you got it, but you know, how was it? How was your experience? How'd you get in the lab? Things like that. Like how long did it take to publish? You know, the yeah. whole thing. So uh, my school and it, some schools might have a similar situation, but uh, they'll post that there's certain professors who are looking for undergrad research assistants. And I, I highly recommend to anyone interested in research um, to look into that. And here's a point, and, and I guess a, a misconception uh, that you don't need to do uh, research within biology you don't need to do like you don't need to be curing cancer as an undergrad if your major is like food science for example like it doesn't need to be so beyond your scope that it's uncomfortable it's you're taking all your time uh, and frank it, it should be enjoyable to some extent it really shouldn't be you know you're going into dentistry unless you know of course there are people who want to do research and, and publish and, and be work at a dental school for example within academia and want to publish you sure I feel like for the vast majority of people and myself included, uh, I'm looking to involve myself with science beyond, like I said, the classes and things like that. And I want to have some of that exploration uh, and, you know, kind of working with a PI, for example, but it should be something enjoyable is basically the point of what I'm saying. For example, one of my uh, current roommates, he did research on frogs, like with it, like uh, it was totally like, uh, like within their environment, it was like nothing. It was it was like ecology. It was like it, it was like it was no relation to teeth, no relation to human health, uh, and that's all dental schools want to see is that you're doing something that you're passionate about and you're taking that extra step. Uh, so that that's the first thing. Um, but like I was saying, uh, I looked into schools uh, into which professors were were looking for undergrad research assistants. I got like I somehow was the luckiest when it comes to this because I was able to get a position within a taste bud research lab, which is like perfectly related. And like, it goes against what I just said, but it, it really does not matter what you're doing in terms of research. So we did, uh, we looked at taste buds uh, and specifically how it's related to obesity. Um, and without all the boring details, it was a really great experience. Um, I did a good amount of both uh, lab work uh, I did a lot of imaging. I did, and then I was also able to contribute to the actual um, authorship of the paper. Uh, so it was a really, really rewarding experience. Um, and let me think. Yeah. So I guess the timeline, right? So you asked about that. Um, 
I started my sophomore year. I started sophomore spring, I believe. I think I wanted to get Orgo out of the way. I took, well, I took Orgo one during fall of um, sophomore year. And then I think during that second semester of sophomore year, I was like, I could fit in a research at this point. And I did all the way up until my senior spring. And like I said, it was a really great experience. I can, if you have more questions, I'm happy to kind of talk about the details there. Yeah. So uh, like, how exactly did you get the research? Um, you know, what did you have to do in order to, to reach out to these advisors and kind of put your name out there? And, uh, you know, I know it's a little discouraging sometimes, even me personally, I felt uh, it's a little tough to get the attention of these advisors and these, these uh, PIs and professors. And so what, what would you, what would you, uh, what kind of advice would you give pre-dentals uh, who are interested in looking to get into research? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. So I think I reached out to three labs. And so uh, the one who, the one hit that I had was the Facebook one. So the way that I kind of reached out was I, they, they don't want to see like the longest, they don't want to see like a personal statement when you reach out to them. They, because these people are like full-time faculty, they have their grad students they're worrying about, they have their grants and their current public things they're working on. So you, you don't want to like, I've seen a lot of people try to reach out to professors with research and they write this long personal statement email and it's like, they don't really care about that. I think it's the best thing in the email to show your, your willingness to, to contribute in any way that you can. You, you should give them your availability upfront. And I think a, a reasonable availability for a, a position where you, for a lab in which you'll be in, put in a position to publish is I think maybe 10 to 12 hours a week of commitment. A lot of schools will do like a, for on like a per, course credit like they'll give you like three credits of research although they'll even pay you i think it's better to do the course credit like i got every semester that i was involved i got an a factored into my gpa uh which was really great like why i i for minimum like i was in a position where i was looking at like i can do like a minimum wage sort of situation or i can do like uh for credit and i was like you know what i'm building my future like i want to have a higher gpa whenever possible like here's i'm gonna i'm gonna take that option um, so like I said, avail tell them about your availability up front, tell them kind of your willingness and, and maybe within a paragraph, just say like kind of some of your skills that you think you could bring to the table. If you have any prior research experience, of course, that's great. Um, but I, I think the first email maybe should just be like, you know, would you be willing to meet and discuss? Like, of course they have, it's almost like a, a dual interview process where you have to be wanting to work in their lab and do the things they're asking you of, but they also have to deal with you. So like that's that's kind of the, the the two parts of that. So yeah, I I I guess the summary, right? The summary of what I just said is is just your availability, your experiences, and your willingness to work and, and kind of be a contributor, like an active member of a lab group, um, and just kind of see if they're willing to just meet with you, discuss. I think a lot of these things come through better when you're meeting with someone and speaking with someone than than through email. Um, so those are those are some of my recommendations. And um, I think you're talking about like research with the research, like you can use as credit. Um, I think at Stony Brook, uh, if you have a research experience, like if you're doing research, they give you like credits, you don't have to take like an upper division lab course. So that can like get you out of it. So like, that's, like, that's uh, great. No, I, it, that's the, yeah. what can be done. I would totally recommend that because yeah. some of those upper lab courses, like no matter how much you, time you put into something, they can probably like dock you for some reason on the rubric. Like yeah, this is, 100%. This is a better, like a, I think it's a more, it's a, it's a more, it's like a win-win kind of thing, if you can get it. Um, so I just want to ask a little bit more. Uh, so when you first started your research, 
did you start out strong or did you have to like learn just to you have to get trained and then did you have to like learn everything how long did it take to learn everything and then also start doing meaningful things meaningful actions that actually you thought that were that contributed to the project itself like how yeah. long did it take to get to that point you know what i mean yeah so something that i experienced and i know a lot of my friends experienced um they'll, they'll start you off with something that's very like mundane like the the kind of the, the work that no one wants to know the grad students want to do and that's very normal and i think that's i think that's that's totally okay and i think people should go into research experience expecting that and being very okay with that because like you should be kind of honored that they've accepted you into their group like a lot of these grad students go through a very similar rigorous process to get into these groups for example if they were if they're doing their phd program as we would do if we're going into a dental program um, so it's very selective um, and, you know, I, I think you're, you should just be willing and okay with doing the work that's very kind of mundane, like I said. Um, what I did, though, personally, is I, after doing that work for a little bit, I was, I kind of talked to my PI, and I, and I was lucky to have a good relationship with him, and just explained to him where I'm trying to go, where I'm heading, what sort of, what's my end goal, and of course, it was to go into dental school, and I explained, like, I really do want to involve with my, myself with as many kind of skills within the lab as possible. And I said, you know, ultimately, it would be great if I could be involved in some sort of publication. Uh, I think the PIs know that that's generally like what people are looking for if they're like a pre-health major and not like a not not going into a PhD program. Like, it would be helpful. You don't need to have a publication by any means, but it does help. I mean, it's something that you can just list on the resume, for example, and you can talk about in an interview. Um, so my PA was PI was very understanding of that. And then at that point, we kind of reevaluated, looked at my schedule, and he said, you know, here are some things that we need help with. Here's where you can step up, for example. Um, I started doing a literature review for him where I was looking at taste genes associated with dental caries. Um, so if it's, if it's not enough initially, you can definitely ask to step it up, and a lot of the PIs will be receptive towards that. Um, and then in terms of the learning curve, um, yeah, at first it was tough because I was jumping into something where everyone around me knew everything and I knew nothing. And I didn't take immunology, which was huge for my project um, because I was looking at inflammation associated with obesity and kind of how it affects like the oral mucosa and things like that. So I had to learn a lot of it by myself, watching YouTube videos, Ninja Nerd is great, something I actually use in, in dental school, it's a YouTube channel. Um, and kind of just, I was lucky to have a grad student that I worked with that was really great at explaining things. So. It does, it does take a little bit of time to get to, you know, where you should be to feel comfortable kind of holding a conversation with your PI or other grad students, uh, but definitely ask questions. You, should, you shouldn't feel like the, the relationship you should have with your PI and a grad student, for example, should be very calm. It should be very informative and educational. Like it shouldn't be something where you like hate being there because they yell at you and things like that. So don't put yourself in a situation like that, obviously. Um, hopefully that, that answers your question. Right. And I feel like a lot of pre-dentals need to consider, you know, not being in a research lab that they hate being in and, you know, kind of choosing something that they, they, uh, is contributing to their future, the, what they want to do in the future, uh, or just something they enjoy, honestly, like it doesn't have to be medically or dental, dental related, um, to be honest. So it's just something that, you know, when you go in every day, you have a clear purpose and you like know that this is going to help you and something that you really enjoy doing. Um, so on that note, I just want to talk about, you know, the DAT and the application and the personal statement, things like that. Um, can you just run us through your application? Uh, you know, how you approached uh, these different tasks, like the DAT personal statement, rec letters, the, everything, essentially. Yeah, for sure. So 
I knew that I would, the first thing you need to know is if, if you're trying to take a gap year or not. And that kind of changes the schedule and the timeline. Um, so I knew I didn't want to take a gap year. I knew I wanted to go straight from undergrad to, to dental school. Um, being that I'm looking to specialize, I, I don't want to spend an extra year or two just doing something in the interim. I'd kind of rather just go right into school. So that was something that I decided very early on. So uh, I took my DAT in uh, my winter break of my junior, uh, wait, let me just make sure this is right. I took my DAT, my winter break of my junior year, I'm pretty sure, I think. I'll get back to you guys. Uh, but then I remember uh, because by the end of senior year, I kind of knew where I was going to school. I had interviews during February of senior year, I think February, March, April of senior year. Uh, so that, I guess, makes sense. Um, let me think. Personal statement. I started also, I think, at, about around when I finished my DAT uh, because I had to have that into ADSAS. Well, so my, my school had a committee letter. So by also by February, I had to have everything into my school. So I had to have like a pretty good draft of my personal statement. But then I had from February to like June or July when the portal opens to like actually um, to submit the, the personal statement. I think I'm botching this entire timeline. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but like, you can interrupt and tell me like, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, basically, I think uh, you I probably took your DAT like and I had uh, everything in as early as winter possible. of junior year. I highly right? recommend that. Yeah, probably. Um, you tell me then, then you probably apply like in the summer sense. after junior year and then you're, you're good after that. Well, so I was interviewed. I, I guess so. Yeah, because I knew where I was going to school right. senior year. Yeah, yeah so yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, because I think the interviews go into like the next year. So like, you know, you apply June, then you start hearing back like, I don't know, like this December, December, January, February, something like that. Somewhere around there. Something like that. You're going to have to have another podcast guest. Right. <laughs> it's not me though. We'll have like the, uh, the dental school admissions team on here or something like that. Um, yeah, so for those, you know, pre that don't even know what the interview process is, like, can you give like a little definition of what it is and like why it's such an important part of the whole application? Yeah, so um, I think, so I was the, co uh, the first uh, COVID year, so I was fully virtual interviews. And I think some schools are still doing virtual. It actually saves people a lot of money. It's very convenient. Um, but I think the interview process is like the make or break and I don't say that to like stress people out but I think it's like actually an, an advantage for most people to have the interview process so if you're lucky enough to get there this is essentially the level like the, it's a it's an even playing field at this point because you you've applied and now you're amongst a pool of people that have in their eyes the admissions committee's eyes uh, you know you're all on the same page you all have great grades whatever they are you all have a good DAT score whether that be a 30 or a 18 or 7, whatever it is that your equation that kind of got you there, you're all even at this point. They're not going to look back at your DAT after the interview and compare you with someone who got a 25 versus a 20 because they don't care about it. They, they've already shown that they care about that. That is now out the window. So this is why the interview is huge because you're going to be with people and they're all going to come from different backgrounds, different schools, and it really doesn't matter because you, this is your time to be you, be yourself. Um, and this is something that I really enjoyed because I, took, I, I was able to figure out early on that you can sway the interview process and the questions in any way that you want. And it's actually fun to do that. They'll ask you a question, you answer the question, 
as much as you want. And then you just start talking about something else or you ask them a question and it's literally cruise control from there because they just want to see that you can have a conversation with someone. They don't really, they're going to ask you questions like, tell me about your research. They're going to ask you the boring questions like, like tell me about your strengths and weaknesses. They don't really care. I'm, I'm sorry, but they, I've spoken with people at my school. They, they just want to see how you respond to these things. Um, another one that comes to mind is like, they'll always ask you about your hand skills, right? Like you've heard this question, you've seen it on Student Doctor Network. Well, the behind the scenes is that they really don't care because if nothing translates to dental state, everyone will learn how to use a handpiece and everyone's going to learn how to complete these procedures. My, well, I had a professor who said his favorite, his favorite part of the interview process is to ask about the hand skills because he loves it when people make up these cockamamie explanations, these relations that don't make any sense. Uh, and then they, he loves watching the pre-dental student try to answer and explain why it would be useful within dentistry. It doesn't matter. He said it would be actually better if you say, I actually don't have any hand skills that would lead me to, to be a better practitioner one day. Sure, like I can tell you, oh, I played viola when I was six, but like that doesn't really, like that's, there's no relation there. So if, if you if you have something, like let's say you are an artist or you, you know, you do play piano, yes, mention it, of course, like sure, that's, they want to hear that, that's the traditional answer. But like, if you like took a cooking class and like you think that like sprinkling salt into something is like hand skills, like don't say that because it just doesn't make any sense. I hope you guys follow where I'm going with this. Um, so that's some of this, this interview process. I'm trying to think of, should we pause there? I have a lot of, I have a lot of things to talk about with interviews. So, yeah. And I think, uh, it's important to make the distinction between like, uh, you know, what you should say, not say on an interview and things that are actually applicable to dentistry instead of just saying things that I guess anybody could do. Um, but yeah. So how would you, how would you describe the interview process in like a word or two? Um, Hmm. Wow, that's a really, I gotta think of the word. Uh, I would say like, I don't know if I can do it in one word, but I could say to you that- Maybe like, like a couple words. Honestly, a couple oh, words is fine. Give me a couple to work with. Okay, thank you. Um, I would just say, this is, I can't know if I can do it. Uh, like I said before, where you, when you kind of are asked a question, take it where you want. That's, that's, what, that's how, kind of how my experience was. And so, like I said, they'll ask you a question. You just, just be yourself, answer the question, and then talk about something interesting um, that, that, that you think they'd be interested in hearing about. Right. So, so uh, were you anxious, nervous, excited before your interview? Like, how, how did that feel? How did the whole process actually go? Okay, yeah. So I was not calm. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I tried to come off calm, and I hopefully was able to, but um, definitely, stress I mean, it is stressful, right? Uh, you can tell yourself a hundred times and you can practice your, your person, your, your wide dentistry question, for example, like a hundred times and feel like you got it down. But then once you're actually sitting there and like for a lot of the pre-dentals who are kind of on coming up, for example, you might have in-person interviews, which I didn't have. You're not in the comfort of sitting in your, you know, you know your room and your desk chair. Like it is going to be stressful and it's like something, but you, you, once you kind of get through that first question, you just take a step back. Like I said, realize that they just want to have a conversation with you. I've never been grilled on an interview. I never had a question where <clears throat> I wasn't able to answer. I've had times where um, they would ask a question and I would say, like, one second, let me think about that. And they said, like, take as much time as you need. Like, it really is 
they're humans. Like they're at the end of the day, like they're the same dentists that you've shadowed and you've come to love and wrote your letters of recommendation. Like these are just nice people at the end of the day. They're not trying to grill you. So add something that you just keep in mind. Like I said, the first question is going to be stressful, you know, but you'll get into a groove and everyone's going to be, everyone's going to be okay. So did you know from the beginning, like which schools you want to apply to and like, how'd you narrow them down? Uh, yeah. So I, I knew, I knew a few schools I didn't want to apply to just because of cost and location. And like, even though like, of course I didn't want to go like, you know, like really far from home, for example. So I had like maybe a list of 20 that I narrowed down to like 15. So I think I applied around there. Um, and then uh, I knew Stony Brook was always a number kind of one of those schools that if I get into Stony Brook, I really have to consider Stony Brook. Um, and then there were, I kind of went from the 15, uh, I had, I had 15, I think working on 15 schools that I applied to. I got interviews at nine. I got into all nine that I interviewed at. And then uh, from there, I narrowed it down to four. Uh, and we can talk about the specifics if you want, um, but I, do you want to hear like some schools that I was considering and then what kind of made me? Yeah, sure. So you just get like a little scale of, you know, where Sunnybrook fit in your. Yeah. So basically at the end of the day, I was between Michigan, uh, University of Pennsylvania, Stony Brook and Buffalo. Uh, Michigan kind of was the first to go because I, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, wh why spend the extra money for a state school where I'm out of state? Uh, and I was lucky enough to get into Stony Brook and Buffalo. So while Michigan would be a, would have been a great experience in terms of like the athletics and like kind of like that big name school, like I felt I got that uh, personally in undergrad. So I, I didn't know if I needed to spend the extra money for myself to go to Michigan. Um, and I know someone who goes to Michigan, she seems to really love it. So it's, it's a great school and it's, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with going to Michigan. I just personally, I thought uh, I was going to narrow down between Penn, Stoney and Buffalo. Um, and then Buffalo was the next to go off the list just because I figured I'm from Long Island, like it's kind of just like a real hassle to do the whole upstate thing again. Like I did it for undergrad from coming from Long Island to up to Ithaca, New York. Uh, I felt I had that experience. Um, the only thing holding me back from Stony at that point was like looking at the class size. Uh, for anyone listening, Stony Brook has like the second smallest class size behind Harvard. Uh, Harvard has like 34 or 35 and then Stony Brook has 45 or 46, depending on the year. So I was thinking to myself, like small class size can go one of two ways. I could really love everyone in my class or, you know, I might not love everyone in my class. I've actually come to love everyone in my class. So I'm really happy that I chose Stony Brook. Um, but Buffalo was ultimately the next to go. Um, another reason Buffalo was off the list was because I didn't want to be ranked. Um, and I also wanted a GPA. So I can talk about that quickly. Uh, being that I know where I'm really strongly considering specializing at this point, I felt that when I was applying to residency, I didn't want my, and especially like through my years of school, I didn't want to know that I was like number 20, 20 out of 95, for example, in Buffalo. Like I, I didn't really think that that was a healthy way to go about it for me. Um, I also like feel like at Stony Brook, I talked to a lot of people who went there, um, the ranking, no ranking really helps because it's no, no one's really that competitive with each other because there's no reason to be like, there's no curve. Everybody can get an A if, if everyone does well on something. Um, whereas these, some of these ranked schools, you might have some of that gatekeeping in terms of like study guides and, and things like that. So I was like, you know what, who I am. And I've always been a collaborative learner. Like I, I was between Penn and Stony Brook at this point. And then and I was like, okay, let's look at the financials here. And then UPenn was just way too expensive for what I was kind of considering at the end of the day. Like 
we're all going to be a dentist. So like, you know, if you can get into your state school, I would highly recommend it. I don't really see why not. Uh, I'm sure there are arguments for, you know, going to UPenn over Stony Brook in terms of specializing maybe, but uh, Stony Brook has had a hundred percent match rate for the last few years. And it's uh, pretty much anyone, whatever you're trying to specialize in, you're able to get into. So, you know, I was like, you know, let's do study work. I'm 20 minutes from home, but I'm going to, I actually live closer to the school with four of the guys from my class. So um, I kind of made it feel like I was going away to college where I, even though I'm really close to home, but that was my process. Nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, study work is obviously like the best choice, you know, just, when I was applying like college, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to go to like BU, but Stony Brook was right here and it was like just great connections and stuff like that. So I just kind of chose to stay close. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors to choose when it comes to deciding on a school. Um, so what are some like resources pre-dentals can use to prepare for that interview to get into their schools of choice and that they really want to get into? I think the best resource uh, is to go on some of these Facebook groups that exist uh, and finding current students who are willing to talk about their experiences. Um, this is not something that this is totally allowed. This is something that like you're you're allowed to speak with upperclassmen and just hear kind of what their what their interview day was like. Um, first of all, the questions change every year, so that that was a concern. That's not something to worry about. Um, but they can really give you like the real deal, like what it was like for them and like what you guys were alluding to earlier. Like, how did you feel on the interview? Did you feel pressured? Did you feel like there was questions that you weren't able to field? Those are things, good things to know going in. So. I think the number one resource is reaching out to students who go there. Uh, and I'm sure there, any school you look at, there will be people willing to talk about their experiences. If anyone's looking to go to Storybrook, you can hit me up. I'm always down to talk about it. Um, that's the first thing. One thing I would say away from is Student Doctor Network. Uh, it's like the worst thing that's ever been created. Somehow everyone on those forums have, has a 35 on their DAT, even though it's only out of 30. Like, you know, everyone, everyone loves to wants to talk anonymously on this thing. So I would stay away from there uh, to really learn what the school is like. Um, and of course, like talking with the admissions committee, uh, you know, with, with people who work there, um, they would actually probably like to see that you're taking an interest at an early point within your interview process, within your process of applying. Um, I think some of the reason why I actually didn't hear back from some of the schools I did is because it seemed like I was just applying to apply. Uh, whereas I, if I kind of had shown that long-term interest, um, that might have that might have helped. I know that matters in undergrad decisions. They wanted some of the I've talked to the admissions committee like years back, and they said, you know, when students come on tours, we really know that they're interested in applying here. They're not just applying here because their stats line up. So anything that you could do to show that that little bit of interest uh, for that su sustained period of time, I would highly recommend. So you talked about how your interviews were virtual, obviously, because it was during COVID. Um, yeah. So can you, can you, like, walk us through how the entire experience was, like, uh, maybe getting the interview and then, like, in the waiting room, like, and then actually getting there and maybe some questions they asked you and how you kind of, how your yeah. own experience went down? Yeah, so um, I remember getting my first interview invite. I got so excited. It was from Rutgers, and I was, like, so pumped. And it was actually in person. So for me at that point and during the COVID during COVID was, was really big to go in person. Uh, and I, I kind of, I remember getting there and being so excited uh, and it really is exactly what you would expect it to be. Um, you kind of sit in a room, there's some intros and it's, this goes for Zoom and, and, uh, and in person uh, pretty much for, for everything I'm saying here. But there'll be some intros, they'll talk about financial aid, 
they'll they'll do like a, a the dean will come and speak. Uh, they they want to like get you settled in. They're not going to like start like like bombarding you with interview questions like right when you first get there. Um, and every school of mine had a exact like a one on one process. Buffalo had like a, a two faculty with one student. That doesn't really change like the dynamic of the interview. It was very relaxed. Like I said, I know Michigan they did um what it's called um but it's basically like a, oh an mmi uh, multiple mini interview and they would it was all a recorded software so i would log into this thing uh and they would just ask me like a variety of, of random questions and I, my answers would be recorded and one of them was like do you think we should impose a sugar tax one of them was like one of your dental professionals who you work with is like 85 years old and you're noticing that he's forgetting, you know, things here and there, like, what do you recommend to do? So a lot of like ethical questions. Um, that was, that was Michigan, for example. So that was definitely tough. Um, but uh, let me think. So I guess your question was specifically like how to take you through the day. What was the, the question again? Um, yeah. Like, uh, you know, take us through the interview, like how, you know, what kind of questions oh, did they ask you to do? Like, how'd you respond to the yes? Like that. Yeah. So always be prepared for, for a few different things. So the first question is always going to be, tell me about yourself. Like pretty much 95% of the time, it'll be telling me about yourself. Um, and so when you think of this answer, you shouldn't just regurgitate your personal statement. That's a lot of things that I saw my friends trying to do. And I, uh, now that I've, I've kind of gone through the process and I was really had a great interview success, I would really recommend trying to step away from the things that they've already read about you and know about you this is your chance to tell them like, yeah, I like, I love like the New York Knicks. And like, I love like, you know, if you're like into knitting, like, yeah, talk about it. Like they, they want to hear like some of the fun stuff that you haven't talked about in your, in your process. Um, so that's the tell me about yourself. I would try to get that no more than two minutes. Uh, I would start talking about maybe uh, where you're from and go from kind of a little bit about your family life um and then kind of a little bit about your school and what you do because it makes sense kind of when you're telling someone about yourself but again they know this about you uh and then talk about those interests what you know who you, who you associate with like what your friends would say about like so just there's there are ways to make yourself kind of give a different perspective um on for your application so that's, tell me about yourself you have to be prepared for that the next question is the why dentistry question Again, don't really regurgitate a personal statement, but uh, really be clear here because the statement is a chance for you to be uh, like, use like, uh, kind of tell a story, tell a narrative. You know, you're going to be integrating thoughts and feelings. You can be very direct here. And I think I would recommend that. I, I would say in every one of these answers, after my little intro, I would kind of talk about what I mentioned earlier about my dentist and how he's fueled my passion. Uh, but, you know, you might want to say, like, I want to be a dentist because, and then name three things. So for me, it was like working with people and kind of that combination with entrepreneurship, uh, kind of the love for science that I had, uh, and the artistic nature of being a dentist. So that's, you want to be very clear, the why dentistry question. You want to be clear and confident. That's, that's the next thing. So I just want to hop in real quick. Um, so yeah. like, I think a common mis misconception is like, um, people think that when they ask why dentistry it has to be one thing, but like. I just kind of like started learning this recently. It can be like multiple things. Like, you know, as, as I'm doing my undergrad too, I'm just thinking like there's multiple reasons why, you know, there could be like a physical reason, like a mental reason, you know, many different reasons. So like, I think people get caught up on, there has to be one reason why, but 
I guess that's not. Absolutely. No, no, you, you want to, I think it's a good idea to show that you're like aware that there's multiple, like there's a lot of things that go into this career. I would rec- I would stay away from talking about like the lifestyle. I'm seeing that like a lot of people think that's a good idea to talk about. Like, this is why I'm considering dentistry over medicine, for example. But like, A, they know that. And it's kind of taboo to talk about the lifestyle because like, you know, you're going through four years of dental school and then you have residency regardless of whatever, spe- like even for general, all the way up to any sort of specialty. It's not something that I would talk about. Uh, that's just, something, just like a random thing that I just thought of. Um, but yeah, it could be lots of reasons. And then a third thing I was prepared for to talk about was why not medicine? I was asked this one time, um, like, why do you want to go to med school, for example? Because let's be honest, like anyone in these in these applications could have taken the MCAT because the only difference is really studying like a physics section. And like, that's kind of, I think the only difference between the MCAT and the DAT. Uh, and you were in the classes with pre-dentals. Everyone really did well, in the, you know, did well in those, those science classes. So just be prepared to answer that. Like I said, I had it one time. And just think about that for yourself. Like why is dentistry something you'd prefer over medicine? Um, so those are the three big things you need to think about in the interview. And like, I, so tell me about yourself and the why dentistry always came up. Why not medicine was just one time. And then if you're going to prepare a little bit more, I would think about strengths and weaknesses for yourself. I mentioned before, they don't really care. But I think if you can articulate your thoughts nicely and succinctly, that's something that's important. Um, and then the biggest thing I would have in your back pocket is like, think of an ethical dilemma you've been in and then think of a challenge you faced. Because these are questions that you can answer regardless of what the question is. Like they can ask it in a different way or you can bring it up. Uh, these are just things that you might not have like on necessarily on your application. They might be in some supplementals, but uh, the challenge was a big one. That's something they always ask. For me, I was actually a transfer. I talked about like challenges involved in that, um, ethical dilemma, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, I know a lot of students would talk about like, you know, not necessarily cheating, but like academic dishonesty, like talk about you, you might have an experience with that and whatever, whatever it may be. So those are like some of the, the big five, I would say. So I'll say it again. Tell me about yourself. Why dentistry? Why not medicine? Strengths and weaknesses slash like challenge and then like your ethical dilemma. Right. So as you mentioned, why not medicine? <laughs> why not medicine? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, great question. Thanks for asking. I'm actually prepared to answer it. So um, let me think. What did I, well, my, my answer was um, I talked to a lot of dentists and like it really comes down to that no dentist has ever disliked their job. And like whenever I said that during an interview, uh, well, the one, the one time I did, and I would bring it up other times all the interviews would like laugh because it is true. Like every dentist really does love their job. Uh, and they, because you're able to make your, your practice and your career kind of, I, I guess, like practice in a way that, that you enjoy. So whether that be working less days per week or like kind of having a practice that it's not, you know, the volume of cases isn't as high. Like these are some things that you can modulate in your career. Whereas in medicine, like um, you don't really have as much control over those sorts of things. Another thing I mentioned uh, why not medicine is because I think dentistry is like a happier career. You're able to really like fix people's ailments, uh, attend to people's ailments, like with that kind of instant gratification sort of sort of vibe where it's like, you know, someone comes in with pain, you can fix it. Whereas, whereas medicine, it's not really like that as much. A lot of things are out of your control and it can lead to like some, like a sadder situation for some patients, uh, at least these chronic long-term illnesses. Um, and so for me, that's kind of the two things I talked about. So how was like, how was the D1 
how was your D1 year? And how was the curriculum? Like, um, um, did you guys like touch hand pieces yet? Like, how was that, you know, how was the transition from undergrad to your D- to D1 year? Yeah. Um, so Stony Brook starts you off in the medical school. Uh, so you're full on with the med students. You're taking OSCEs with them. Uh, OSCE is like a clinical um, assessment where a patient comes in and they, they talk about like, um, sort of like you, you kind of interview them in a sense and you ask about their symptoms and you look at lab values that are, that are made up uh, and then you have to diagnose them with something that you take a quiz uh, or a slash exam, whatever it is. Um, so this is like full on medical school. So we took uh, anatomy and biochem for the first uh, two or three weeks just by themselves when we first got there after orientation. Uh, this was to give us time to adjust to school, but these classes are very intense. Um, and I can talk about these in greater detail, but I'll give the overview and then you ask any questions that you have following. Um, so anatomy and biochem, and it was a uh, gross anatomy, so we had a cadaver lab. Really, really uh, like awesome experience. So if your school, if you're looking at a school that, that has gross anatomy, I would, I would look into that uh, further. And I think that's something that is a really great experience to have. Um, so those are the first two courses. And after that, we took uh, immunology, essentially, and then we took um, like a basic mechanisms of disease class, uh, where we talked about different, we talked about cancer, different uh, blood pathologies, like these are some foundational concepts um, that if you, a lot of first year medical students take an equivalent uh, course. So after that, we then took some dental morphology. This is where you look at the shapes and the structure of different teeth and you learn about dental specific anatomy of each tooth. I actually hated this class. I had never hated a class more. This is a class where we had to do those wax ups. I'm sure you, you guys have probably heard about it, but for those who haven't, uh, you, you heat up like white wax and then you shape a tooth from scratch almost. And it's fun for five minutes, but then after that, it's not, it wasn't fun for me because I wasn't that great at it. Um, so that was dental morphology. Some other classes we took was uh, periodontics. So it's looking at like the relationship that the teeth have with the, the gums and supporting structures. Um, and then we kind of, then we're, we were kind of fully in the uh, dental school at this point. So this was kind of midway through. And this is when we were like bombarded with uh, a bunch of different classes. We took an, like a community, like a public health dentistry class. Um, we took, um, what else did we take? Let me look at my, whatever. We took a bunch of other classes and they all went so quickly. Uh, and somehow I got through it all. And then at the, we also took dental operatives. So to answer your question about the, the hand pieces, uh, yes, we, we did start working with hand pieces. We started doing, we can basically do cavity preparations uh, and then restoration. So we did both composite and amalgam. Um, and it was a really fun experience because we, dental school is, uh, Stony Brook has a simulation lab. So you can pull out the mannequin from the, the wall uh, and you have your loops, like your, your glasses with the magnifying glasses, like make sure you sit up straight uh, and when you look through them. And so, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun experience. And so we did a lot of assignments. It was very quick moving. Uh, we, and then now we're gonna start, start operative two when we start uh, the two year, which is like crowns. Uh, and things like that. So I think I saw your Instagram page, like the picture of you in the, in the chair with the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that that's, cool. exactly, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so like, how how is your uh like your hand eye coordination? Have you seen it improve since you first got there? And like your your familiarity with teeth, like, has it become? Are you are you like one with the tooth now, or are you just still still getting? No, I I, I think I'm like almost there. I so sometimes I'm getting really good. You don't think about this uh, a lot, but 
like so maybe for a pre someone who hasn't thought about it, i'll give you like a, what i thought originally um of course i knew there were like two tooth numbers but i didn't really like put into perspective how important it is how specific you are in terms of how you describe a tooth and a certain location on a tooth and there are so many new vocabulary words that entered my mind and like my vernaculum like during the first year of school and so there's like mesial buccal proximal lingual like and it's like it takes a little bit to like get your brain to adjust to these things but now you can say like the, the distobuccal cup distobuccal cusp on tooth 23 and then like well, whatever maybe 16 or something like that and then it's like i can like think of that a little quicker than i was at first so one with the tooth like almost there that's that's the first thing um and then i don't know it's uh it, there is a with the hand skills it's like uh at first it was fun it's always fun at first and then you like realize like i actually have to be really good at this so then then you then you take a step back and it's it definitely is challenging because not only are you drilling with one little drill on the end of your, your uh, handpiece, but then there's like different drills for different things. And then there's different speeds of the drill. And it's like a very, it's a lot all at once. And what I found in, in Stony Brook is there's good instruction up front. It's really great theoretical explanation of everything. This is what we're supposed to do. Here's what it should look like. But then in reality, they're like, okay, now you go and try it. And just by the sheer number of faculty, like you have to kind of, you're not always, you're not like, no one's holding your hand the whole time. So you really have to just like figure it out. And it's actually, sometimes it's, it's tough when you don't know how to do something, but like at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try this. And then I know what it should look like. It didn't end up looking like that. So I'm gonna try something else next time. And by, by going through that process, like it, it does help you kind of have things stick in your mind and you get better uh, just by practicing and trying to drill. Um, so for example, like there's something called a class two, uh, preparation where it's like the cavity is between two teeth that are touching. And then they might include the occlusal surface, which is like where your teeth bite and then where they touch. Um, and so for example, I learned that I like to use a different drill when I go in between the teeth, as opposed to a drill that I can do on top of the tooth, the occlusal surface. Again, these are just preferences, but these are things you have to figure out as you go. And I've gotten better for sure. We started with these little blocks uh, that are meant for like dental students to learn how to drill and they have little shapes and they're like draw. They're like, it's like an S and they're like, you have to stay within the lines. And I remember looking at this thing as if there's no way I could stay within these like this millimeter. Like there's no way I couldn't even do this with a pencil, let alone like a drill that's rotating 200,000 times per second. Like, and so like, yeah, it was like a fun thing. And then, I, but now I feel like I could do it. Um, I'm getting better. A lot of it's like knowing how to sit and like using a fulcrum finger to like keep your hand stable and steady. These weren't things that were explained to me early on. I'm, I don't know if how familiar you guys are with these things, but I figured I would explain them. Um, but you know, you get better with time is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I'm sure as you go on and continue on to your D2 year, I'm pretty sure you're going to get much better <laughs> with your hand skills. Um, I know, you know, it, it's it's like a completely different it's a completely different like world from undergrad, right? Like dental school, this is what you're doing now. You're using your hands all the time. So like eventually, yeah, you will get better. Everyone probably gets better. And uh, I'm, I'm personally, I'm excited to see how I fare in that game uh, when it comes time, hopefully. Um, so yeah, uh, you talked about, you know, a little bit about that D1. So how is the D1 curriculum? And like, how have you been able to balance your time? I know uh, it probably consists of a lot of academic work, dexteric work. 
Uh, so how have you been juggling and managing your time and maintaining your social life outside of dental school? Yeah, so that's definitely was, uh, was a struggle at first. Um, I mentioned before, like I work on the weekends. So I work multiple events for the, the balloon twisting on the weekends. And I, I know that I really only have mornings and then I have nights. But being that I work five hours a day, five to six hours a day on Saturday, five or six hours a day, basically I'm, a large chunk of my weekend is taken out. And then when I'm able to work and able to study, I'm exhausted. So like time management for me, I need coffee. Like that's like, no matter what I'm doing, I need to drink. Like I have to be like, I got to turn myself on somehow. So that's, that's one of the, the keys for me. Uh, but during the week, I, you just have to be as proactive as possible. Uh, like for example, like at first I would go into operative, which we had on Tuesdays and Thursdays from one to five and I would drill and drill. And then I would be like, Oh, I'll come back on the weekend and I'll finish this. As opposed to just staying there where I have all my instruments set up, like everything's already there. You'll find that it takes a long time to like set up everything, put the rubber dam on. So like try to just be as proactive as you can in the moment. Um, another thing is, is like sometimes you don't need to pay attention in lecture as much as you, you could actually be doing something else in lecture where you could be doing two things at once, like having a split screen open on your computer, one side, like taking any sort of notes that the professor says that aren't on the slides and then the other side you could be doing Anki decks for example I'd be happy to talk about Anki too I really love Anki um, and like I, I always know that I want to have time to go to the gym so that's something that I really factor in and I told myself before I go into dental school like like my body is like something that I really like my my overall health is something that's really important to me and especially in dentistry it's a career that's like physically demanding uh, not only like on your back and if you're not doing a lot of movement throughout the day, like you're kind of sitting still, like that's why I always a lot time to go to the gym and be active. I'm lucky that I live like two minutes from my gym. So I'm able to like, even if it's like a 45 minute workout, like sure, I'd love to be there for an hour and a half, but like whatever it is I get to do, like I'm happy with it. Like if it's going for a run around the block, yeah, I'll make time for it. Um, because at the end of the day, like compounded, like even if you take three to five hours a week to be like active, it really won't make too much of a difference as long as you're just staying on top of your stuff. Of course, if you're crunched, like you're in your time crunch, like, yeah, so you can't, like, you're gonna have to make sacrifices, of course. Um, so those, those are some priorities for me. In terms of like socializing, um, it's good that I, I would recommend living with people in your class if it's possible, because you kind of like come home after a long day and you can like, you know, you can have like, you can just like talk and have fun in your house. And then like, then everyone gets to work because they're all dental students. Like they all know that they have to study. It's not like undergrad. You, undergrad, I felt like there were a lot of people around me that like didn't like wait until the last minute for everything. I was always someone who like wanted to be generally on top of things. Of course, like not all the time, but like to, to my, the best of my ability. Um, and so like, I think if you want to have a social life in dental school, you absolutely can. Like, you know, you might hear that you might not be able to, it's totally possible. Um, I would say like conservatively, like you have two days, two days out of the month to like not study, not think about school. You can go like to New York city, you can do whatever you want and you can probably make more too, if you're able to stay on top of your stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned you like to do Anki, um, helps you stay on top of things. I've heard a lot of people like not use Anki people that use it. So how, how'd you kind of make that distinction? Like I want to use this. It's helping me. Like, and when did you start doing that? Yeah. So in the med school, uh, so a lot of the first year medical students, regardless of what school they're at, they'll, they all have to take the step one exam. So there are pre-made Anki decks uh, for the step one exam that would coincide exactly with the stuff that we're learning in class. So 
being that I had the decks made for me already during that first like you know six seven eight months in med school um, I knew that once I started using it I felt that it was really effective and it's based on spatial repetition uh, so it's not just regular flashcards it will present you flashcards that uh, you struggled with in the past in a way that somehow it like burns it into your brain uh, so being that they were pre-made for me early on was helpful and then as we got to dental school uh, and I didn't have these like databases with Anki cards, but uh, essentially like my friends and I all, you know, I would make a deck for something. My other friends would make a deck for another class and we would just share the decks amongst ourselves. And it really is like a, it's a really weird process, but it works. Like if you get through the Anki deck, even if you do it one time, you'll retain it, you know, for, for the day or two after. But if you get through the deck a few times, like you will retain it for like an extended period of time. And I think it's, it's something you should at least look into. It's a little intimidating first to program. It's not like very user friendly, uh, but there's tutorials on YouTube. There's definitely upperclassmen at whatever school you go to that use Omni. So I would recommend it. Nice. So um, you mentioned you have a business. Is that the balloon business you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, do you have like, I looked at your Instagram. Do you have another, do you have like an other affiliation with another business organization, something like that? Yeah. So I actually, um, okay. So it's the, uh, Students of Dentistry on Instagram. Uh, and we run three different pages. So Students of Dentistry, Elite Dentists, and Top Dental Practices. Um, and here we feature dental students uh, doing their thing and sharing their stories. Uh, and we, we share this on our Instagram pages, uh, on our pages, with, and we have over 250,000 uh, net followers. So it's a really great uh, place to be in. So if there's anyone out there listening and you're looking to share your experiences in dental school, maybe start your own personal page where you share your experiences. Uh, we'd be happy to feature you there. Um, and I do this with two other students who are Stony Brook alum. Uh, they're both in their residencies right, uh, right now, one in Ortho at Stony Brook, another one at uh, OMFS at NYU. And so this is uh, something I'm able to fit in as well. Uh, we, we hold uh, like weekly Zoom sessions, informative information sessions, and, and connect students with mentors at school. So um, it's really, it's really it's fun, for, it's fun for me. I enjoy this, this sort of stuff. Yeah, so Brandon, thanks for uh, all your insights today. How can pre-dentals reach out to you, uh, you know, if they have any questions or concerns or just want to know how dental school is like? Yeah, the best is to uh, reach out to me on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Brandon Axelrod, uh, Axelrod's A-X-E-L-R-O-D. And I'm sure you can put maybe some of this in the show description or anything like that. Uh, but that's the best way. And I'm always willing to answer questions, no matter what the question is. And uh, I really want to thank you guys for having me. This was really, uh, really fun. Yeah, so that kind of concludes our episode of the Dose Dental Podcast. Um, thank you, Brandon, for joining me and sharing your experience as a D1. Your insight was definitely valuable, and I hope our pre-dental listeners will feel the same. Um, everyone, please feel free to reach out to Brandon and his socials if you have any further questions. Lastly, I thank everyone for listening, and if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Spotify, and we will see you next time for another Dose of Dental.